With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creator producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers on today's episode. An interview with Ted Lasso's Roy Kent, Brett Goldstein. He'll be here to talk all sorts of uh, Ted Lasso nonsense from uh, his affection for swearing in front of children to some of his primal fears of being stuck between adjoining doors in a hotel. Don't give it all away, Leo. Hold on to some good stuff. But before then, uh, we're going to touch on the Emmy drama race and some of the the shows that Ben and Libby want to stump for to remind voters that, hey, it's not all about the crown. Doesn't have to be about the crown all the time. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. But first, skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news from this past week. Guys, this past week, HBO announced their fall slate of shows. Uh, There's a lot on it. Uh, Scenes from a Marriage, Curb Your Enthusiasm Season 11, Insecure Season 5, How To with John Wilson Season 2, Finding Magic Mike. But is there anything you guys are really excited about that was on that list that I maybe didn't mention? (laughs) Finding Magic Mike, come on. Yeah, let's do it. Let's find him. We want a, a third film. If he can't, if he can't find him, we'll never get one, right? That's love. how it works. Yeah. And I love, uh, I love ill-timed pandemic limited series, uh, Station Eleven. If only because we have Mackenzie Davis's return to TV where she belongs. Who knows? It, it'll it'll probably be a disaster. But uh, I have missed her. I have missed her on my TV. But yeah. Any any other thoughts from the HBO announcement other than the things that we thought were coming are coming? You gotta love the slow rollout of the uh, Succession season three release because it's like okay, so Succession season three is gonna come this year. Okay, Succession season three is gonna come in the fall. Okay, Succession season three is gonna come in October. Okay, we're still not saying the date. We will tell you the date. Just be cool. We know you're excited. Probably we're next just week. feeding that <laughs> excitement a little bit at a time, uh, and it's working. It's working very well. Um, yes, I, I think Succession is obviously the dominant fixture in this announcement. Um, there are other things coming to HBO, which are exciting. Uh, I don't remember which ones Leo mentioned, but scenes from a marriage. But yeah. Scenes from a marriage is coming out. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is coming back, which frankly, I, I knew they'd been shooting for a while, but for some reason wasn't expecting this fall. I was expecting it like early next year or maybe in the lead up to the Emmys in May. Uh, And then I think the most pleasant surprise for IndieWire folks outside of Succession was that How To With John Wilson Season 2 is coming in November. And another one that was just much sooner than I expected it to be. So, um, so yeah, HBO's got some stuff coming. What a nice surprise. Like, because it feels, uh, I mean, for the last 10 years, it's oh, it feels like we've trended more and more towards, and that's not coming back for three years. and that that now even in in the wake of a global pandemic like to be surprised by things coming back sooner than i expected is just one of those tiny tiny 
delights that are so rare in life. Well, speaking of things that aren't coming back for several years, we are talking about the drama race. And because Succession missed that window, it was it was out for a year. It sort of it's left this vacuum in, in, in the drama category. And so I, I guess I wanted to take this opportunity to have you guys sort of advocate for, you know, some of the shows that need a little more attention. Obviously, this is a category where The Crown sort of looms large, a potential to take three of the four acting categories, if not all four, and best show. But let's see what you guys think. I would, I would point out that uh, it feels very strange to not have succession in the mix, especially after the fervor surrounding season two. So, um, yeah, Libby, what do you like about the dramas? What dramas do you Nothing. love? Nothing. I don't Liar. think I like television anymore, Ben. Uh, no, I will say that this is a very strange year, and it feels like I've been saying that for two years straight. It is weird that uh, Fleabag year was the last normal year in my mind, because what the fuck was that? Um, but yeah, it is, it is, there are people who, for some reason, uh, take me at my word when I say that Succession is the only good show on TV. But this sure makes me feel like it is like this, this, uh, this drama, the the drama categories are are very full of good shows, but they are not full of shows that really excite me, Uh, which is not to say that there aren't exciting drama shows out there. It just means that they weren't necessarily nominated. Um, I don't know. Uh, a Mandalorian, uh, like looking looking at the at the writing nominees, and you know the Mandalorian scoring two, and the boys scoring one. Like it, it is a very it feels bleak, feels bleak to me, and it feels strange. For as the crown person, apparently on the podcast, it feels weird to be rooting for the front runner. Um. You know, I, I'm, I'm also a, a Handmaid's Tale apologist, so um, the sick part of me would like to see it upset um, the crown because I'm a monster person. I'd love to see MJ Rodriguez win and lead actress for Pose, um, not just for the history, but the fact that the um, Television Academy at long last acknowledged performers beyond just Billy Porter and actually um, brought in one of the trans actresses for nomination is, is, is great. MJ has long deserved a nomination. Um, even as I think the category will go to Emma Corrin, um, they are also great um, in a, in a one-off role as Princess Diana on the crown. I just, I don't know. Like, I have a lot of fear around a lot of these categories because it's either I feel someone is locked or it is up in the air to the extent that I have no confidence in in predicting what it's going to be. And it could be uh, monstrous. Before I respond to the general sentiments you've expressed here in kind, because I obviously share them as well, we are of the same mind. Uh, I will say that there are a few very obvious things to root for in the drama series races. And admittedly, most of these will not happen because of everything you just said. 
nevertheless i'd love to see jonathan majors win for drama actor uh he's tremendous on lovecraft country and he's tremendous in everything and this would be kind of a perfect timing in terms of giving him kind of that early career boost where it's like yeah a lot of indie film fans are well aware of his work yeah a lot of marvel people know him now as that guy at the end of loki uh but but giving him an award for something as uh as exquisite as his performance in lovecraft country would be great i'd love to see it Libby, you it's an question. opportunity and it's an opportunity for the tv academy to swoop in and award him before the oscars get a hold of him uh, which inevitably they will. Um, but also in that category, we'd also love to see uh, a distant, would-be, wish-he-was friend of the pod, uh, Matthew Rees win um, for Perry well, Mason. Or actual friend of the pod, Sterling K. Brown. I so, know. Like, of course, this podcast always endorses Ann Dowd winning awards. So Ann Dowd winning and uh, drama supporting actress would give us a great uh, segue into a re- our formerly recurring segment of wakeboarding with Ann Dowd. So that would be great. We'd love to see that. She's very busy at a one woman show right now in New York uh, and everybody should go see it if you're in the area, but you know, uh, make some time to honor her at the Emmys. Libby, you have another point. You know what? Yeah. It's talking about Ann Dowd. Uh, would-be friend of the pod reminds me again of actual multiple BFF of the pod Elizabeth Moss she uh, always deserves basically everything if you're going to go off book for this she did some mind-blowing work in the season of Handmaid's Tale no matter how flawed some of you might have found the season um, it was interesting that for the writing component, you mentioned the boys, uh, because honestly, that's the one that you have to root for. Like, that's the one that oh, has to win. Oh like, the boys on. season two finale absolutely deserves the writing Emmy. Uh, I think that the episode is extremely strong. I think the season is extremely strong, especially when you're looking at a category, like you mentioned, with two nominations for a Saturday morning cartoon, a.k.a. The Mandalorian. Uh, you know, you've got to start putting your weight behind some at least like at the very least something that we could all say is uh bold definitive satire like it is absolutely going to places that the world needs to hear at this moment when we are overwhelmed with superheroes and overwhelmed with corporations and overwhelmed with all of the things that this show paints in a very disdainful light uh libby you have another point again this is these are all great points leading into the to the broader context of my argument when it comes to the drama categories and the last thing that i'll stump for in terms of individual recognition uh in the guest actor category i know libby's favorite human being timothy oliphant is nominated and i would love to get behind that and see timothy oliphant win an emmy but honestly i think it would hurt me so deeply for him to win an emmy for that show as opposed to all of his work on deadwood that it i might die like it might just be my brain might snap in half because it's just unfathomable for that to be the case. So instead, I think we should give it to Don Cheadle, the guy who <laughs> on Emmy nominations morning was like, what the fuck is happening? I don't this get doesn't it make sense. I don't understand this, but here we are. And you know the speech would be good. Uh, you know it would signify to the world that uh, the TV Academy has made some questionable choices when it comes to drama or at least is forced into making questionable decisions in terms of the winners and nominees because of everything we just talked about uh in regard to succession and other shows not being eligible 
Which is why I think the right mindset when it comes to the Emmys, and this may just be for me, but I'm going to try to embody it, is to take the limited series races very, very seriously because there are very important things happening in the limited series category. There are great artists doing great things, and a lot of them deserve the recognition that uh, we don't know if they'll get. Um, thankfully, there's also you know multiple great options in that category, so I think the odds of being happy with your enthusiasm, with your priority being placed over there are relatively high. Uh, comedy, you know, take it or leave it. We've talked about it before. Uh, I think Ted Lasso's going to do great. I think we can all be pretty happy about that, especially after talking to Brett Goldstein this week. Uh, here's open. He can pull off the win. But when it comes to drama, I think it's time to embrace chaos. I think you need to just say, fuck it. This is obviously a skippable year. We didn't need to do this because Succession isn't here, because we didn't have enough shows to really compete on the high scale that we demanded. We didn't nominate some of the shows that really, really, really deserved it. So screw it. Let's just have a little fun and let the Mandalorian win. Let's embrace chaos. Let's accept that as the ultimate conclusion. Let's say that, yeah, there's going to be parts of Hollywood that just can't resist the mega blockbuster anymore. They want to be like movies. They have to be like movies. So let's just let a friggin' movie win at the Emmys. Just in drama, though. Just in the drama category. Well, before we go to our interview with Brett Goldstein, Ted Lasso's Roy Kent, I did want to sort of touch base with you two about what we all thought was the inevitable backlash coming to the Ted Lasso uh, world. I I am sort of flabbergasted by it myself. I find myself defending the show to, to friends about like, it has not changed. It is the thing it was before. So if you say, I really like the first season and I don't like the second season, I don't know what to tell you. If it wasn't your cup of tea in the first season, then cool, that makes sense. But I, I don't think it's fundamentally changed to the place where you can go like, not nah, not good anymore. Not the thing it was that I loved last year. But yeah, I just wanted to sort of talk with you two about it, see what your thoughts are. Ben, I know you had some some general thoughts and, and Libby, I know you, you were just angry at the outrage over a comedy show. I would just say that the Ted Lasso controversy has, has officially gone out of control. Like it has become something that it's so it's coming from so many different directions, both in the people who are now finding it acceptable to voice their dissent around a show that was formerly so beloved, no, uh, no uh, angry or, or dissenting opinions were allowed. Um, and then the, the chorus of people responding to that dissent saying that, no, it's great. I love it. Quit bugging me. It's created a just an endless cacophony of noise to the point where like no matter what you say about Ted Lasso now unless it is very specific in saying like having like a, an asterisk next to it and then at the bottom adding I love this show or I hate this show people are going to come after you from both sides like it's it's just reached that storm level um, and I agree I mean I think I think what Leo said is mostly true I think there are plenty of flaws you can point to if you really want to search for them um, the idea that it is tipped over into some sort of uh, extra sweet, too saccharine, uh, sentimentally charged series. I don't necessarily buy that, but, you know, the Christmas episode was the Christmas episode of Ted Lasso. Uh, it can be a lot. I've heard from people within IndieWire that it was. 
I don't agree. But I, I, I do understand the points being made around, at least from some people, where they claim that the the lack of conflict, the kind of punting of conflict within season two, where everybody has you know, kind of gotten used to Ted Lasso and accepted his ways and are now friends with him and they're all supporting each other and there's no one kind of trying to tear them down other than themselves, uh, has created almost a show that feels, again, like it's leaning too far into the niceness that people said it was from the beginning. Um, As I pointed out in the original review, as many have said uh, from the start of season two, I believe that this season is about that very thing, is about trying to live a life free of conflict where you're just positive and happy all the time and the negative consequences that can come from that. So I fully expect the the ending of season two to address these things. Um, But if it doesn't, then obviously the criticisms are valid. Even the criticisms could be valid now just because they're not enjoying the show as it exists, which is fine. You could not enjoy things. Not everyone has to enjoy everything. Um, But I do think that the show has earned that kind of second deeper reading where you look at it and try to understand the different levels it's working on. Because as we've seen, you know, with some of the even kind of throwaway moments from the first season, there's usually very carefully thought out choices guiding those moments. And all of the decisions in season two, to me, do not feel rushed or forgotten or sped past so much as they are carefully placed to lead up to a specific point. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be great. Boys, I'm going to go long on this and I want to apologize right up front. Like as a person who knows everything, I can tell you exactly what is happening with season two of Ted Lasso. You have a bunch of people who started watching Ted Lasso after season one had been released based on the show's word of mouth. They binged the show because of the pandemic. They binged the show multiple times, watching the whole of its arc uh, over and over. And now they are stuck. Now they are watching the show in a completely different format and aren't necessarily recognizing it, but they're watching it week to week. That's a completely different experience than sitting down in one or two sessions and watching, uh, you know, five hours of television. They feel as though everything is sweet now because they forget that a lot of the mo- the heaviest conflict in season one of Ted Lasso came in the back half. Like, for me, for someone who only likes the grim, season one took a really long time to get me on board, basically until Ted's wife and son showed up in London. Then we get a crack in the facade. Ben's exactly right when he talks about um, the show being about people who try it and, and live their life without conflict. Because the truth of the matter is conflict will find you. You can bury your problems. You can run away from your problems. But there are problems you cannot avoid. I think Ted Lasso is doing... Ted Lasso is a little like a duck. Uh, You can see it floating along the water and it seems very effortless, but underneath the water, it's doing a lot of work. Its legs are doing a lot of work. The trick is making it look like it's not doing a lot of work. People walk away from the show thinking about all the good times, but if you sit down and think about what it's about, um, aging, abusive relationships, um, trying to find love, trying to find connection, uh, divorce, uh, uh, dating 
in your 40s. Like there are so many elements at play. And honestly, now that there's a therapist on the team, I'm going to go ahead and guess mental illness. These are very serious things. And these are all people in this series that don't want to talk about those things. They want to throw Christmas festivals and they want to focus on soccer and and making connections and and being friends but there is darkness and we will get to the darkness i have every faith in that and if all you can see is the sweetness that's not necessarily on the show because the darkness is there if all you see is the sweetness it's because you are falling into that trap the show sets it wants you to only see the sweetness because the characters only want to see the sweetness because they're all desperately sad um sorry that's a huge bummer but uh that's that's why i like the show if the show was what people accuse it of i wouldn't like it i wouldn't watch it i wouldn't stunt for it i wouldn't write about it but there is pain a lot of pain and a lot of dissatisfaction inside the DNA of Tad Lasso. And I think if people were watching season two in a chunk after all of season two had come out, they would know that. They would see that. Um, we're just not there yet. The fun, the fun thing to me, though, about that idea is, again, I do think the onus is on the viewer. Like, them releasing it weekly is still a good decision by Apple oh, it for its own business model, as well as for the yes. show itself. Because in theory, especially like if this was a Marvel show, people would be watching it on repeat over and over and over every week until the next episode dropped and discovering all of these things that are tucked away within it that speak to those themes that you're referring to, Libby. And I love that a lot of this quote unquote controversy, whatever we're calling it, um, erupted after the Christmas episode. Like that seemed to be the, the, the jumping off point uh, that then the rom-com episode. And, and here we are now. Uh, because the Christmas episode is about a very sad man, like dealing with being sad around the holidays. And the episode acknowledges that in its music choices, in uh, what it's doing, and uh, in, in like the story about Ted. Like as an episode, it's very positive and uplifting because everybody is making Ted feel happy and positive. But as I wrote about in the review at the time, uh the the core for ted is not a good thing like he's in a bad place and his his community around him the, the people around him this this ted lasso way of life where you're always on the up that he's created has kept him from acknowledging his feelings it's kept him from digging into his sadness and saying i am sad it's okay to be sad i can spend some time with this and deal with it and come out a better person instead he's being whisked away to play fake Santa and sing a Christmas tune to his team. Like that's not necessarily the healthiest thing for Ted, even if it does make for a very entertaining Christmas special of Ted Lasso. Here's, here's what's happening with Ted Lasso actually. Uh, and, and I would think that viewers would have picked up on it because it was right there in the episode. Uh, you saw this happen with it's an it's a wonderful life i was raised in a generation of people who were like oh it's a wonderful life it's so sappy and saccharine uh because people only remember the cover of the movie they only remember the last five minutes and they completely gloss over the fact that a large portion of the film is about this man whose dreams get thwarted at every step and 
ends up on Christmas Eve on the verge of arrest and and contemplating suicide because he thinks he's more worth more dead than alive. It is one of the darkest films. <laughs> like uh, openly uh, openly viewed repeatedly at the holidays like but people don't remember that. They just remember how it makes them feel in the end. But that doesn't mean that the movie isn't about what it's about. It doesn't mean that it isn't addressing the things that it's addressing. It just means that, you know, uh, people are watching it wrong. I mean, the show the show is very clear about what it, like, the scene they show is legitimately the scene when George Bailey is about to kill himself. Like, yeah. And Ted is by himself drinking on Christmas morning. And if it weren't for the intervention of Rebecca... Not to say that he's going, but there's definitely be suicidal thoughts floating around while he's thinking about being thousands and thousands of miles away from his son and his family in this place he doesn't know for a team that he is coaching to a bunch of losses and draws. So, yeah, it is difficult to sort of argue with people who are missing the things that are right right there on the surface. Is it is it sweet at times? You bet. Are there a lot of referential jokes? Yes. I guess I, I don't like when when talking to people in the comedy community community who seem to have issue with like oh Ted is you know too jokey everything he says is a is a pun or, or a reference and he doesn't feel like a normal guy that you can just have a conversation with I'm like what main character in any sitcom ever felt like someone plucked out of real life Michael Scott is heightened Leslie Nope is heightened like these are. These are not real, and, and granted, those are modern examples. Maybe you could pluck some of the characters off of Cheers and put them in the real world, but even then, not really. Sam Malone no. is a very heightened Lothario. Like, he's not a real person. Um, Archie Bunker. Well, Woody would beg to differ. A, height, a heightened, uh, you know, these, these things are, uh, TV is not real life, um, shockingly. What? Wait. Yeah. No. But but especially not comedy. Like you shouldn't expect right. that from from comedy. So if if you're sick of, I and I think it's that last I think it's not funny, Leo. It's not a comedy. But I think it's also fine to say. I think it's fine to say you don't find this funny. Don't say this thing is not funny because I don't find this funny. If yeah. that makes well sense. said, Leo. Now I need to go tell myself that about other shows. <laughs> Gonna go listen to those White Lotus tapes again. We have a very special guest today. I've mentioned his name twice already. Brett Goldstein. I can't believe we didn't sing the song. I know, we didn't sing. I was, I was like, he's probably heard the song so much. I know, me too. Uh, but he was a fan. He still seemed like a guy who would appreciate it. He's here, he's there, he's ever fucking where, Roy Kent. He sat down with us for a half hour and talked about everything, talked about some of the stuff we just touched on, the, the darkness that's, that's sort of hiding under the niceness of the show. Uh, and, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that he's nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And we are we are pulling for him, uh, really pulling for the whole Ted Lasso crew. Whoever whoever can can pull those those victories out. Can I just say, uh, just privately to you guys, and and I would hate if our listeners heard this. Um, I'm kind of mad about our interview with Brett. Uh, he's a really great guy, and like, what the fuck? There was there was shockingly little swearing. He's a dude that loves the Muppets. He did swear. Like he did swear. He did he, swear. He did swear. But. Uh, I was shocked by how much acting he's actually doing as Roy Kent. Uh, we should do just a, a huge credit 
to his ability because he is the nicest guy. I mean, I think we didn't talk about it, but he's talked about it before. The fact that he got the Roy Kent part was a big sell because he'd been in the writer's room while they were sort of breaking breaking the season, season one, and they didn't have a Roy Kent. And he, he, he did a self-tape for Bill Lawrence and Jason and sent it in and said, hey, if this is bad, let's not ever talk about it again. <laughs> and if this is good, cool, I'd like to be considered for Roy Kent. But the idea is like, he, he was, he's so far from Roy Kent. Like he is not that person. He's far more, I told, was telling Abby like, He's more effusive. He's fun. He he seems to have a, a more sen- he's more in tune with the sensitive sensitive side, if you were, than than Roy Kent is. Yeah, he was so gracious and effusive, and he recorded his own <laughs> audio for us people. And if you don't have a podcast, you don't understand how important that is. Without further ado, our interview with Brett Goldstein. We want to give a hearty millions of screens welcome to Brett Goldstein. Uh, you know him, you love him as uh, Roy Kent on Ted Lasso, but he's not just Roy Kent. He's also a part of the magnificent uh, writers' room, and we, we kind of want to delve into into some of that, especially with this upcoming episode. This will release on Thursday, but tomorrow's episode you wrote the signal. So uh, Libby, take it away. I, I do have to ask, how did things in the writers' room differ from season one to season two? Uh, did it get in your head at all? Uh, being a, a global phenomenon. I love that. Just a casual global phenomenon. Uh, actually, uh, we, we were we were lucky. Well, one way that it was massively different is that we were all on Zoom. Uh, I was here in this little attic you see with the Muppets poster and the bullet holes. So I was just here. Everyone else was in LA and I was Zooming in till midnight every night in, the, in this little sweat box. So I lost weight. It was good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, the, but, you know, I, it was a shame not to be together. That was different. But in terms of the whole, you know, thing that you described as a global phenomenon, uh, that didn't change anything because we, we'd we already started writing. Luckily, we were halfway through writing the season when season one came out. So we, you know, we were kind of just... And it's also the thing of... It is, you have to, you have to, as wonderful as all of that is, you have to ignore all that to write the thing you were going to write. And Jason has always had a plan and we haven't deviated from the plan, despite what people may want, think is happening, etc. So, yeah, it's more, it's more the longer, it, you know, I wonder if season three writing will be different. Now we have heard all of this stuff. Maybe it will be an absolute nightmare i know i mean if jason has a plan you gotta trust the process right stick to the plan well one thing i one thing i I talked to you at the junket and talked to several of your castmates at the junket and the one thing um that i didn't get a chance to ask you but i asked some of the other cast members Mm -hmm. this idea that season two has this i mean overt plot of uh adding a a team therapist and I spoke to uh, several of your, of your fellow castmates about the idea that Ted Lasso season two is like this Trojan horse for therapy for all these people who are who are in it for this like, you know, ensemble comedy. But like at the end of the day, you're, you're probably going to be preaching the gospel of like, hey, therapy's for everyone. Like it can help a lot of people. And I wonder if how much of that is in the writer's room, something you guys are talking about or even thinking about, like we're laying the groundwork here for like, some Ted Lasso fans are going to be like, maybe I should go to therapy. I don't know. 
the answer to that in terms of I don't think we think of it I don't think we ever discuss it like oh we've got a mission statement the mission is this message this theme that's always like sort of emerges from the story I think uh yeah we don't have like a mission to to change people's lives although I do think everyone should go to therapy yes (laughs) but that wasn't something we we laid out that wasn't like on a board like this is the season that will force people to go to therapy. Uh, That may be a theme that comes out of the storytelling, but it wasn't jammed in with a hammer. Yeah, I I honestly wanted to just ask about last week's episode a little bit in terms of kind of what it was like to go through all of those very iconic, even going back to the Christmas episode, really, with the Love Actually homage, kind of getting to be that romantic comedy lead and be that person, you know, uh, as an actor portraying that as a character who's, you know, not the kind of guy you'd typically associate with those things. So uh, I wanted to know from your end, like, was that fun? Was that exciting? What were kind of the challenges that went into playing into those uh, those tropes and genres and, and everything surrounding oh, Roy was, Kent's journey? It was, it was, look, I, I cannot... Uh... It is, I I feel so lucky with all of this. Like, you wouldn't believe how lucky I feel. Like, it all feels like uh, uh, magic that I'm even allowed to do this. I fucking love playing Roy Kent. Like, I love it. (laughs) Like, it is really, I'm very, very lucky that I get to do it. And stuff like, you know, I got to do all this stuff in the last episode. Got to do a Tom Cruise run. Got to do a fucking, you know, race across. And, And the reality was filming that, montage of getting Roy there took ages took weeks like it was all filmed in tiny bits so when I did finally get to the stadium it was real man it was like fuck (laughs) like it was real like we really it had been a real journey to get there um so you know there's been loads of moments on this show that feel like magic has happened and and certainly walking out onto the stadium with the crowd doing the chant was one of them well i guess when you're when you're in the writer's room uh and you're kind of working on these scenes that you know are very much about roy and we've seen kind of roy's evolution this season does it change anything for you like when people pitch ideas about roy and when you're pitching ideas about roy knowing you're going to you know eventually commit to those on screen does that do you think about that in the in the room? Is that something that enters your mind, or how does that kind of feel? Yes, of course it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, look to be to be honest, I actually sometimes I, I'm I'm very aware in the writers' room of uh, tr- trying to separate. As in, I'm very protective of Roy, but I'm also protective of all the characters. And I think we all are. I think the reality is everyone really really cares about all of these characters. And maybe I pitch less Roy stuff because I don't want people going, oh, yeah, you're only looking out for Roy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, I really, we really care about all of them. And I think the, the more it goes on, the more you know the actors. Like, that's the one thing I was going to say about the difference of writing season two is writing the scripts for season two was such a treat because when we wrote season one, we didn't know the actors. And now we know the actors. We know how fucking good they are. So writing dialogue for Hannah Waddingham or Juno Temple or Phil Dancer is exciting because you can imagine, you know, they're going to fucking smash this. And like, you know, the kind of joke that they're the best at. And it's real. You know, you've you've heard this phrase and I don't think I understood it until actually making to Lasso, this thing of the sandbox. It's like 
we built the sandbox, we have the characters, we've got the action figures. And season two, we get to play with them and move them around. It's like, wow, like, it's so fucking cool. <laughs> I've just, I've realised I'm, like, sounding far too excited about all of this. I haven't talked about it for a while. No, it's totally fine. Well, you mentioned sort of being protective of Roy and protective of all the characters. But mm. a question I had is, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, where does Brett stop and Roy begin? Mm-hmm. And, and my own personal question is, are you really a soft G gif person? Or is that... A Roy oh, Kent. Yeah, that's a Roy Kent. Of course, I, of course, I know how to fucking say gish. <laughs> just want. I just wanted to check. I wanted to get on the record that Brett says that's gif. Not going in the podcast. I'm just going to tell you that right now because that's. I feel very called out. Very, very called Why? out right now. What happened? No, the first, happened to me. The first no word reason. is graphic. It's a hard G. Oh, Libby, do you say GIF? Is that why this is coming? Yeah, yes, I say GIF. Okay, well then, I used to feel intense shame over it, but no, I'm okay being like Roy Kent. Like that's fine. I'm okay being like Roy Kent. You, you be proud of that GIF. I will. I'm. I know. I won't. I'll. I'll be talking about my therapist. I'll talk to my therapist about this this week. It's fine. We can keep it in. Then the season worked. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, speaking of my therapy, um, mm. please, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there are plenty of people who, who, who seem to exclusively want to talk about the show as, uh, how nice it is, but actually as a chronic depressive, what really appeals to me is, is the show's darkness. Um, as both a writer and performer, how do you approach that difference in tone, um, it's a, th- it's a, it's, I think it's something, uh, I, I can't give you the exact quote that, that Jason says, but I entirely agree with him, which is like, without being a dickhead, like funny's easy. The funny part's easy. The, the, the hard part is making sure you have, I don't want to sound pretentious, making sure you have the emotional truth of the scene and the characters. If you have that, if you've worked that out, if the, tra- if the tracks are clear, this is what the scene is about. This is what these people are going through. Then the funny stuff is easy. Then, then you can add as many jokes or as, and then it's a, just a question of tone. Like sometimes you go, that's actually sort of too fun for what's actually going on here or, or less or whatever. Like that's the bit that's, that's where it's play, I suppose. But the, the, the work is making sure the track is real and truthful and consistent. I love it. I love it. But let me okay. let me circle back really quick. What did that quick. have to do with your therapist? Oh, I'm a chronic depressive, so I only really oh, like yeah, bad yeah, okay. things. Sure, so sure. it took a oh, while well, then... to, for me to to get on Ted Lasso's wavelength, and then yeah. you know, uh, it got super depressing with with yeah. Ted's divorce and all that. And I was like, yes, like yeah, gonna, here we go. There's so much for you to enjoy, Libby. I can't say anything, but oh, I got I got a feeling. I, like I'm, I'm very. I'm very excited. Uh, I feel like it, Christmas for me uh, wasn't the Christmas episode. It's it's whatever is in store. And uh, I highly anticipate it, uh, to be honest. <laughs> I want to talk to you when we finish the season because I, I guarantee I know your favorite episode of this season. And it, and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. But actually, circling back to like being protective of the characters, sorry, Leo, I'll be mm. really quick. Um, there seems to be a little bit... I don't want to say a, a complete personality swap between Nate and Roy this season, but we are definitely seeing different sides of them. Roy is a mm-hmm. little sweeter. Nate is a little more bitter. 
Um, can you talk a little about that dynamic? I can talk about Nate as far as where, when does this come out? Episode six, like the, the, the Nate story in particular, I, I'm really, that's the story for me that, that I think I'm most proud to be part of as, as, as part of the team in that I think it, I think it's really complicated and adult and like, there's a bit in episode five, which is so sort of ugly and sad, which is when, you know, he, he, him trying to make himself big does not make him feel big. And in fact, spitting at himself, spitting in the mirror, he's so disgusted by himself that that is what motivates him. It's the sort of self-loathing of himself. I find that like, like whenever people accuse Ted Lasso of being too sweet, I'm like, watch that scene and come back to it. Like, I think that that's just, that sort of com complicated that's an ugly scene. Like, it's really upsetting, that scene. I find it really... And I think Nick Mohammed's amazing. And it's complicated. And it's like... It's not quite clear. You know, it's it's like... That's that's real stuff going on there. And, um, and I also... I think what's funny is... It's all all been there. Everyone... Like... The, 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 everything has always been there. And some people seem shocked by it. But what's interesting, if you watch the very, very first episode again, you watch the pilot... Nate's first move is aggressive and shouty. He shouts to them, get off the pitch, get off the pitch. Oi, you, get off the pitch. It's only when he sees that it's his boss, his, his uh, superior, that he becomes the Nate that people love, the shy, quiet Nate. Like, all of this stuff has been there all along. And when he comes out of his shell, everyone's, you know, one of the great episodes, great moments in it, and I'm not saying that including me, it's because of him and the writing is... You know, Ted says, finally, talk to the team, say what you want. And he roasts them. He doesn't go, here's my, you know, Nate has anger and darkness in him and he always has. And, and in episode 10 of season one, he, he shouts at Hannah, you did this, you shrew. Like he's, he's got <laughs> deep anger and self-loathing and it's all there. It's just, you can choose not to look at it. Uh, and in terms of Roy, again, look, Roy's a, Roy's a start at the beginning of season one. Roy is so depressed and in such a dark place. He's an iceberg. He's shut. He's completely shut down. There's a moment in like episode two, I think, where Jamie makes a joke about his, his not mine because it's a wig, chest hair. <laughs> when he says, he says, um, he says, oh, put, you put your jumper on or something. And Roy doesn't even say anything back. He just goes and walks off because he's dead. Like Roy at the beginning of this is dead. Like this is the end of it. This is everything's shit. Forget it. And he's just slowly been thawing. But all of this has been in him. And it's a kind of, it's a thing we talk about. Like, I guess, what's the phrase? One step forward, two steps back, back or whatever. Like Keeley has, Keeley has had a huge part in Roy's thawing and Ted and all these things that he's realizing, but he's still an angry motherfucker. And he's still, he's still the same guy. He's just um, lots of, um, some of the ice has fallen off and he can see out and he's let a bit of light in. And I think sometimes it really annoys him that he has like, you know, it takes five episodes for him to admit that he misses football properly. You know, like he's a stubborn, difficult man still. It's just that he's also in love and, if these people keep being fucking nice to him, it's annoying. 
I, th- I think you mentioned that like the Roy Ken of season one was someone who thought that he would play football until he died, and then he can't yeah. he can't play football anymore. Yeah, so like in in a se- in a sense he's not dead, but he can't do the thing he's supposed to do. So it's sort of like yeah. this second life, and he's sort of like wandering, you know, yeah. wandering the streets looking for like what do I do now? Coach girls soccer? Do I yeah. you know be a pundit? uh yeah, join exactly. join the he's, coaching staff yeah he's 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 just been floating around and the thing that has kept him anchored is is keely is his i think it's the first time he's been probably in love or at least let his guard down to be in love so that part of his life is great uh but the rest has been a fucking mess i mean I mean, personally, I'm I'm glad that he ended on the coaching staff because I feel like now it completes the King of the Hill uh, suffocation of Ted Lasso because you got the four you got four guys just standing in front of the, the the dugout and you guys can just like comment on the world the four of you yeah yeah well let let me tell you when we were in the writers room there wasn't a thing saying this season is about therapy it was this season is how do we make it look like King of the Hill that was the plan. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that you guys had that board and it says Trojan Horse Therapy yeah. and you has it crossed out. That's not what we're doing. We're doing yeah, no, King, King of the Hill. That sounds too hard. Let's do King of the Hill. Let's do King of the Hill visuals. Real real quick, related to uh, Roy's kind of time before season, between season one and season two, I just wanted to ask, how much of the retirement speech did you write and have to perform? Like, how much of that is actually out there how somewhere? How much exists? Yeah. In the in the in the Snyder Cut, there's it's about I think I think the full the full length is about a minute and a half, minute and a half, two minutes of solid crying and and, and saying things. There were there were different yeah. There's 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 versions of it. Yeah, I did, mean I'm no yeah. like did you did you do different versions like did you have different styles going into it like did you take it one way or the other or was it always that yeah it was always no the, there were there were kind of three levels of it. We did kind of, you know, three. There's there's three versions of it. Is all I can tell you. I well, don't know. If, great work if that I've they seen. They will ever release. Yeah. yeah. You what? Sorry. Great work so far from what we've seen. I'm I'm. I think everyone's <laughs> eager to see more, but that is obviously at uh, you and Jason and the rest of the team's discretion. I appreciate that, Ben. Thank you very much. That was my first. That was my first day filming back. That was oh, that was the first thing I filmed was the that fucking crying video right into the deep end that's good yeah well it was easy i'd left i'd left my attic for the first time in a year <laughs> what is this what is the world Funny. oh i'll say do you want to ask the question about uh swearing oh my god yes uh i i love swearing uh Me too. yeah 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 brett why is swearing in front of children so funny um because people is because because people that don't do it are dicks <laughs> uh <laughs> You know, if if everyone did it, it probably wouldn't be funny. So I guess we've got to be grateful for the people that are scared of swearing in front of children. I guess. Right. How does little? How does how does little? Um, and I'm going to totally butcher her name. Uh, Elodie. Uh, Elodie. Elodie. How does Elodie like roll with those blue streaks? Uh, has she grown immune to them, or? She she look. Elodie is annoyingly the best actor in the show, and uh, makes us all bit like makes us all look like dicks like if there's if there's one person guaranteed to know all their night lines hit all their marks and take any note like that it's it's Elodie which is annoying um uh she and she's not unlike Phoebe every time I swear in front of her she'll sort of shake her head roll her eyes 
she, she, but also, you know, like she's the grown up in 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 that room. Sadly, uh, two two kind of dumb questions. Uh, the first one being: last yeah. time we spoke, you mentioned uh, that Angels in the Outfield is one of your favorite sports movies. Now you said Field of Dreams first, but then mm-hmm. then you expanded upon Rookie of the Year, and you said like most baseball movies year. are pretty good. Uh, I I have sort of two questions related to Angels in the Outfield. Mm. When is the last time you watched it? Not for a long time. Okay. Why does it not hold up? That that would be that would be my question to you. That's your follow up question. Yeah. Well, well, my follow up question is: Have you tried out? Because I think I suggested to you at the time, Little Big League, as the I think that's the best of the children baseball sports movies. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I haven't tried Little Big League, but now I'm scared to watch Angels in the Outfield. Did I talk to you last time about how it haunts me? There's a moment in Rookie of the Year when Daniel Stern knocks on the connecting door between a hotel hotel rooms and the other door closes on him and he's just stuck <laughs> in the middle with his arm up pressed we- between two doors that have locked on either side of it. I'd say I think about that once a day. <laughs> I, lo- I love irrational fears of- about... Things that'll never happen, but like once a day. Irrational fears comes up so often in our interviews. Like I don't understand what it is about us that like draws it out of people. And then here's my second very very dumb question. Uh, for those who yeah. don't know, you are the successful host of a of a podcast called Films to Be Buried With, and I couldn't go without I couldn't let you go without asking a hypothetical of my own. Although it's not going to mm. be about films, this is a television podcast after all. Brett, I regret to inform you, you've been stranded on a desert island. But luckily, you brought along a solar-powered TV-DVD combo. So, okay, great. great. And, then, and then you had the wherewithal to bring mm. along three box sets of three television series. What three TV series are you bringing? And I'm sorry, you cannot choose The Simpsons. Hang on. It, does it have to be shows I've seen? Because surely I'd bring shows I haven't seen. Oh, you, you definitely could bring things yeah. you haven't seen. I... I, th- I Thought you'd lean in things you've seen, yeah, but <laughs> it is a risk. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm so behind on so much TV. I'm kind of like I'm on this desert island. <laughs> Give me the White Lotus. I ain't seen that yet. Give me fucking. Uh, I mean, it, pretty much everything that people talk about, I haven't seen yet. So I, okay, but if you want, I'll give you. But if it's like rewatch stuff that I haven't, you know. Yeah. I mean, look the two look the two greatest shows of all time, as we all know are The Wire and Deadwood, right? So I'm bringing The Wire and I'm bringing Deadwood. And then... Deadwood. And Deadwood doesn't get enough love for being this as good as The I'm Wire. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Oh, my Deadwood God. Is the, Deadwood is The Wire in the past. Yeah. yeah. It's the same 110%. thing. It's about, it's about how, did it, how, how, was, how did this happen? Watch Deadwood. Yeah. And how do you survive? How do you survive? Yeah. Watch Deadwood. Oh. That's how... And also the Deadwood movie. What beautiful finish! Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this All is right. the podcast now. This is okay. This is <laughs> it. It's a Deadwood podcast now. I mean, Ted Lasso, great, but you know, we're, we'll do our Deadwood. Deadwood's spin-off. Deadwood, and then I'd maybe take, I'd maybe take Cheers because I fucking love it. It holds up, and there's a lot of them. Yeah, that's fair. I think those. Are, I think oh, those are perfect. Amazing answers. I th- I, there's no right answer, but that's about as close to a right answer as I think you could the get. The dead within cheers. <laughs> Fucking hell! You, I, I don't want to get saved. Yeah. I'm, Leave me on the I'm island. On that, 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 that. Yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. Watching, watching the White Lotus while stranded on a desert island would be quite an experience. Like seeing all of that kind of posh hotel lifestyle being skewered right. horrifically while you're just kind of stuck building a campfire and uh, trying to find shelter. But I still recommend it. So uh, okay, great picks. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. All right. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being a part of uh, Millions of Screens. Uh, we're so excited to have you in the podcast. Uh, we love Ted Lasso. We've been preaching the gospel of Ted Lasso for over a year now. Um, and we're very excited for tomorrow's episode, The Signal, written by yours truly, Brett Goldstein. Um, everyone go watch that right now. Thank you, guys. What a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate it. And I do genuinely very grateful for all the uh, love you've been putting Ted Lasso's way. It means a lot to all of us. So thank you very much. Okay. Yay! Thank right. you so much. Good luck. Right. Leave the attic. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. And we're back. Wasn't he nice? He's so nice. He's so great. So nice. I know. And he picked, up, the, he picked the best TV shows. I actually rewatched the episode after we did that interview. And in the kebab scene of episode five, where his uh, his portrait's hanging up, uh, and he's like, if you if you don't take that down, you have to give me kebabs for free. Uh, the portrait next to his is George Went in Norm in Norm gear from Cheers. So the fact that you he picked mean, Cheers. Jason Sudeikis' his uncle, George Went. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that was that was a great interview. Uh, and again, he is nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Emmys. Voting closes when? Monday, Monday, Monday. <laughs> Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation. IndieWire, our theme music features excerpts from the classic YouTube video. Bjork talking about TV and Willy Wonka from the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And we're still in search of an executive editor. But that search is winnowing. Millions of screens, and mostly Leo, strongly endorses the following baseball movies. Oh, God. Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, and For the Love of the Game. And if those <laughs> if you thought those movies all have Kevin Costner in them, you're damn right they do. <laughs> that guy knows a baseball movie. If you want to watch a movie about baseball that centers around children, I highly recommend Little Big League over the lesser films. Angels in the Outfield and Rookie of the Year. Sandlot's good, because Sandlot's about kids. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and Lee Ringer Seeing Fast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Slee Review and Lesson What You Think. This is Ben, Libby and Leo remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.